In January of 2000, my dad, brother, and I sat in an office in Florida in a, great, in a cemetery office as we were about to bury my mom. We needed to choose a plaque that would go on the tombstone. And we were looking through a book, and they had a lot of plaques, a lot of sayings, a lot of um, emblems of memories. But when we came to the praying hands, we knew right away that that was what we wanted to have on the tombstone of my mom. You see, one of the things about my mom is that she loved to read the Bible. She loved to spend time in prayer. Um, she was a praying woman. One special memory that I have as a young boy, when I went into her bedroom at night, needed to ask her something or for whatever reason I went and I didn't knock. I threw open the door and jumped into her room. And there she was in her PJs, kneeling by the bed with her hands folded. And um, I heard her mention my name um, come off of her lips in prayer. You know, we talk about impacts and what an impact that our moms can make in our lives. And my desire this morning is that we would look into this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and that we would have a genuine faith and that we would be this genuine faith that we would have would make a genuine impact for God. So I want to walk away with that challenge this morning. God, I want to have a genuine faith And as a result, I want this to make an incredible impact for your glory. As we step into this passage in 2 Timothy, may I give you a little bit of background to 2 Timothy so we could just enjoy and appreciate the setting that much more. The cruel Nero was emperor of Rome from 54 AD to 68. And he was responsible for the beginning of the Roman persecution on the Christians. And it is believed historically that he was the one that was responsible for a fire that, was, that had devastated a lot of Rome, and he pushed the blame onto the Christians, passing the blame on to them. And that was the beginning of persecution of Christianity. It became an illegal religion. People weren't allowed to put faith and trust in Christ, and they were hounded and hunted down. Christianity became the scapegoat for Nero. Well, it's in this setting that Paul is in prison. Christianity was not a legal religion. He wasn't allowed to be preaching the gospel, and so he finds himself in prison, and this is actually what's considered the Mamertine prison across from the Colosseum where Paul was housed. And if we look in 2 Timothy chapter 1 through 4, we'll see the setting a little bit of what's happening in his life, that Paul was abandoned, it says in verse 15. Um, After he was arrested, everyone just fled away from him. No one supported him, it says in verses 10 and 11. Uh, No one supported him in in verse 16, I'm sorry, at his first defense. And then verses 10 and 11 talks about that he was abandoned by everyone. He was in a cold prison cell. He was in a cell that he was regarded as a criminal. So in this setting, as Paul is sitting in this cold cell, isolated, abandoned by everybody, he makes a request, he writes a letter to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to come Come quickly and visit me because he wants to give Timothy one last charge about the gospel that has been entrusted to him that he would take this and make this his own and be found faithful to God. Well, in the verses that I read this morning, if you saw verses 3 through 6, you'll see where it says in verse 3, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. He mentions ancestors, which is really paving the way to what he's about to say in verse 5 to Timothy and about Timothy's godly family heritage. And he also uses a word four times in those four verses, three through six, the word reminded, the same Greek root is referred to. 
In fact, it says in verse 3, he says, as I remember you constantly in my prayers. So that word is, he remembers him in his prayers. Then in verse 4, as I remember your tears. Then in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. So he's thinking of Timothy daily by remembering him in prayers. And as he's praying, he's being reminded of Timothy's tender compassion, his tears. He's being reminded of Timothy's sincere faith. And then that drives him as we look at the the full picture of this um, big picture view of remembrance. That then drives him to want to remind Timothy to be found faithful in his service to God, be, be found faithful in the gospel that's been entrusted to him. So I asked, what, what kind of a man was Timothy? What kind of an individual was Timothy that of all of the people Paul knew and all of the letters, he knew a lot of people, a lot of great workers and partners that assisted him in the gospel. Of all of these people that he knew that he would request one man, he would request Timothy to come to him and to be with him in his closing moments on, on earth that he had one passion, Timothy, I need to see you. I long to see you come quickly. And I want to also ask the question and answer it. To whom can we credit Timothy's faith to? Who impacted him for God? Who invested in his life? How did he become so great for God? In verse 4, as I remember your tears, I long to see you. You know, what do you, what do you long for in life? What do you greatly desire in life? And that's what this word long means. It means to have a great yearning, a strong desire, to have a strong affection for. What is it that you passionately yearn for? Maybe it's a loved one that you're separated from. You know, just thinking of seeing the, the clip of Katie, Katie, Eric, and Isaac, I yearn to see them or of my, my kids in Michigan. Um, that we don't get to see as often, where you yearn, you see the grandkids, be able to hug them, you see the little ones growing up, and you just want to squeeze their necks and just smother them with a thousand kisses. Um, perhaps it's, it's, a, it's a loved one that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that you have prayed for, you continually pray for them, you long to see them come to know Christ, you yearn for them, you pray continually. When you get together in your D group, when you get together in your small group, when you're with friends, when there are prayer requests, you, you continually share, pray for my wife, pray for my husband, pray for my child. Uh, maybe it's a child that's not walking with Christ and you continually cry out to God and you long to see them come to know Christ. Well, that's the word longing. For us to understand this word even a little bit more, I want to remind you of Paul's character. What kind of an individual would Paul yearn for? For for what caliber would he be that he would desire him to be present? And these are a couple of verses that just define Paul's life. He's the one that said in Galatians 2.20, not I but Christ. He's the one that said in Philippians 1.20, that Christ is magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. He's the one that said in chapter 3, 14, that I long, I'm pressing on for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And here in the same epistle when he says in chapter 4, verse 17, I fought a good fight, that he was ready. What kind of a man would Paul yearn for if that defined him? What kind of individual must Timothy have been? We know Timothy must have been awesome for the great apostle Paul to yearn for him. Timothy wasn't any slouch. Timothy wasn't some slugger. Timothy wasn't some wannabe. 
Timothy was the real deal. He was genuine and Paul yearned for him. Here he is on death row and he wants him to be with him. In fact, a couple times in the same epistle, he will write and say, Timothy, please come to me soon in chapter 4, verse 9. Then he says in verse 21 of chapter 4, come quickly, Timothy, before winter. So here is Timothy on a, a, a one that Paul yearns to have in his presence. Here's Timothy that he wants it to come quickly. Timothy, be with me in this time of loneliness, in this time of, of isolation, in this time of pain, in this time of persecution, in this time of agony. I'm about to leave. I need to see you. And then he says of Timothy, as I remember your tears. So he longed to see him, but he remembered his tears. Paul greatly desired to see Timothy, and he's being mindful of his tears. He remembers there was, remember there was a, this was a great time of, of religious persecution. He's being persecuted, he's being tormented, and yet when he thinks of Timothy's loving tears, he just wants Timothy to be with him. Probably the time of Paul's departure from Timothy last, when they were together, I don't know if it was when the Ephesian elders in Acts, what is Acts 20, where they met and they cried, much like that. Timothy maybe wasn't sure that he would get to see Paul again, and he cried at Paul's departure from him. It wasn't that he was a wimp. It wasn't that he was some uh, a, a sissy. It no doubt was because of his bond, because of his love, his care for Paul, and their oneness that they felt, they, they served together, that he was a kindred spirit. It was hurting for him to see his great spiritual father leaving his presence. Paul recollects, Paul remembers that and he says, Timothy, I long to see you. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be, before we get to the word, filled with joy. This is a hint clause in the Greek. It's a purpose clause. He says, I long to see you in order that now, we would expect Paul to say, right? I would expect him to say, I long to see you in order that I may give you some final instructions. What do you have to do because I'm about to die? I long to see you in order that I may just remind you one last time, be bold. Don't be timid, Timothy. Be bold for God. Or I long to see you one more time that I can just give you some final details. But that's not what he says. I long to see you that I may be filled with what? That I may be filled with joy. He writes to Timothy and he says, you coming will fill me with joy. It's this word filled to be completely overwhelmed, consumed with, to overflow. He says, your coming will just give me joy. What is it that made Paul happy apart from Timothy's coming? What kind of a man was he? How did he use this precious word, this word kara in the Greek? What brought him joy? Paul says in Romans 14, verse 17, kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. So he defines the kingdom of God as being joy. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 4 and 13, Paul says to Corinthians, he's joyful because they were sorrowful to godly repentance. So he's happy that they repented. So that was joy to him. In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2, he wrote of the poor Macedonian believers who first gave themselves to the Lord, joyfully helped the poor. So people that put God first, helping others, that was joy. And Paul defines that as joy. 
Paul defined joy as one of the fruit of the spirits in Galatians 5. In Philippians 1, he writes to the church at Philippi that he's thankful for them and he, he brings joy to them for their fellowship in the gospel. So fellowship in the gospel brought joy. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul writes and he says these words, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you all the joy that we feel for your sake before God. So he writes to the church of Thessalonica and he says, you bring me joy, just the church and your fellowship and your, your passion for God. So all of these things are, are true. They brought him joy. Timothy's coming would bring him joy. Do you get what kind of person Timothy must have been? Do you get how incredible he must have been for God? And I continue to ask the question, who led this man? Who impacted him to be such a great man that Paul's would say of him, his coming would fill him, not just give him little joy, would overflow, would fill him with every ounce of his being with joy. Verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. He speaks and he writes and he zeroes in on a, on a key, important quality of Timothy as he's, as he's praying. As he's in that prayer, prayer cell and he's been praying for Timothy and, and he starts to dwell and he's reminded of certain qualities of Timothy. He zeroes in and he says, I thank God for your sincere faith. You know, when we think of people, we could think of a whole host of people, and we heard a lot of sweet memories of moms, moms that were beautiful, moms that were selfless, moms that were great cooks, moms that loved the Lord, moms that prayed, moms that, all these things we could think of. When Paul zeroes in and he says of Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith. I read a few articles this past week. Why do millennials leave the church? And there are a lot of different reasons given, but a few reasons were around this whole idea of not seeing genuineness, not seeing reality. One person said that they just are tired of seeing all of the sexual improprieties and problems, probably thinking of of the Catholic Church and the scandals that are going on. Another one said, I just don't see the reality of God there. Another person, I think I actually quoted this a couple of months back, we're not impressed with the hours you brag about spending behind closed doors, wrestling with Christianese words on paper. We're impressed with actions and service. So they're really saying we don't see genuineness. We don't see reality there. Or Paul saw reality in Timothy. Paul saw genuineness in him. He saw what was this word sincere, which means it's authentic, the real deal. Something that's pure without any taintedness, without any mixture. Something that's thoroughly through and through purity. Sincerity of faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 reads, um, I'm sorry, yeah, 1 5. Love that issues from a pure heart and a sincere faith. So Paul uses the same words in the first epistle, sincere faith, and he says it's love and a pure heart. So love, pure heart, will be demonstrated by a genuine, authentic faith. It'll impact people. It won't be kept to oneself. And that's what was true of Timothy. This word sincere is a pretty neat word, and you're familiar with it. It's the Greek word 
from which we get the English translation. It's really transliterated and translated hypocrite. It's the word hypocrite. Um, in fact, in the Greek, there is an A on an alpha which negates it. So it means unhypocritical. It means genuine. It means real. Greek actors were called not actors but hypocrites. They would put a mask on and they might be smiling. They might have to put a sad face on or they might have a sad face and have to put a happy face on. They weren't portraying their true feelings. They were portraying a person. They were hypocrites. They were actors. Timothy is no actor. Timothy is no hypocrite. Timothy is the real deal. He's genuine. And Paul speaks of him as sincere faith. Turn back with me, if you would, just for a moment to Philippians. Five years earlier, Paul wrote of Timothy when he was in his first prison of, uh, imprisonment in Rome. And he said to the church at Philippi, I'm going to send to you, but you know what? I'm going to send to you not just a man. I'm going to send to you the best person that I have. So we're seeing that Timothy was consistent in his faith. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. You see, he proved himself over time, and now five years later, he's still proving himself. How as a son with a father who served with me in the gospel, I hope to send him to you. So here's a man that's faithful, that's true to God in every aspect. And it says of Timothy that this faith dwelt first before we talk about where it dwelt. This word dwell is an, it's a neat word. Metaphorically, it means to be at home. It means to be comfortable. It means to walk into a home and to be so comfortable you could kick off your shoes and help yourself to the refrigerator as our daughter from Long Island is now visiting and that's what she's doing. She knows that our home is her home. Help herself, any part, almost anything in the home. Um, and that's the idea that's being included here that, that is at home, is comfortable, is, is happy to dwell, happy to reside. So here that faith is comfortable in Timothy's life. But look what Paul says, but at first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. So here Timothy has this incredible upbringing and this faith is comfortable in him, but at first dwelt in his grandmom and in his mom. They were individuals that just resonated, flowed out of their, their, their passion and love for God. Their faith was evident in everyday life. And he says at first dwelt in their life. First is talking about at first they came to know Christ first. And it's referring to faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior that at first resided in them, that they had come to know Christ and then they were able to impact Timothy. Listen to Acts 16, verse 1. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. So here is Lois and probably Eunice, um, Jews that came to know Christ as the Messiah came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They put their faith and trust in Christ. They saw in him where all of the Old Testament promises were fulfilled. They saw in him was what the prophets were talking about. One day one would come and he would be the Messiah, he would be the servant, and they found it to be Jesus Christ. And they put their faith and trust in him. 
And then we see that they then didn't just let that be enough and say, okay, I'm saved, I'll forget everybody else. But they impacted others around them, specifically Timothy. In fact, if you turn over to chapter 3, verse 15, it says, speaking to Timothy, Paul says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation and faith in Jesus Christ. So here are these precious ladies impacting their son and their their grandson in the truth of the word of God, teaching continually who Jesus Christ was, who the prophets said that he would be, what he would do, what he would accomplish, and keep pointing him to the reality of Jesus Christ. It's a sweet picture of the mom and grandma pulling little Timothy close on their laps and speaking, whispering, talking to them of the Holy Scriptures that can make him a child of God, salvation at such a young age. So how was Timothy, all of the qualities that we looked at, that Paul could yearn for, how was he so compassionate? How was he so caring? How was he so tender? How was he so genuine, authentic in the faith, the real deal? How did all of these qualities come to reside in him? It had to be from the impact that his mom and his grandma was able to make on him. It had to be as they taught him scriptures and, 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 and encouraged him and pushed him towards God that they made such a wonderful impact. And that is what Paul says in these, in these verses. But think about it for a moment. Eunice and Lois didn't just impact Timothy. They didn't just impact one and done. But imagine, and we'll think through all that Timothy was able to do with, for the glory of God and how their impact and training of him impacted numerous, a multitude of other people. At this time, Timothy had been with Paul for about 15 years. They had traveled together. They had been constant companions on the missionary journeys. In fact, when Paul remained, or I say when Paul and Timothy were in, in Berea and perse- persecution came, Paul had to flee Berea. He went on to Athens. Timothy stayed behind with Silas in Berea. When Paul was in Corinth, he was sent by Paul. Um, he was sent, Timothy sent Paul into Macedonia for mission to be involved in impacting the churches. He was with Paul when Paul wrote the prison epistles in Rome. Romans, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, and, and Philemon. He was Paul's troubleshooter. And I want to reference a couple of verses where we could see that Paul sent Timothy. When there was a mission that had to be accomplished, Timothy was the one to go. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child of the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. So when there was problems happening at Corinth, Timothy was the man that went. He was a troubleshooter. He was the one to help the church at Corinth to be what God wanted them to be. Then we see the same thing in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. We sent Timothy, our brother, God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith. So Timothy was the man that Paul would send to help solve situations and challenges that were happening. So Eunice and Lois, their impact and their little grandson and their son as he grew up would over the ages not only impact over decades, people in Thessalonica and Corinth and Philippi and Colossae and Rome and all of the Macedonian churches. But as these letters were read throughout the ages and we today are being challenged because Eunice and Lois impacted Timothy for Jesus Christ. So moms, 
What are you remembered for? What kind of an impact are you making? And may I include each of us as parents, what kind of impact are we making on our children? What kind of an impact are you making on, on the little ones that are following you or, our, or as adult children? You know, some moms will be remembered, and maybe for multiple things, as we heard this morning, for helping kids with homework, reading stories, tucking in their little ones to bed, pointing them towards God, bringing faith situations into everyday life, teaching them the word of God, helping them to understand God better, teaching by the way they cared for other people outside of the family, making meals for others, listening to mom share the gospel with someone maybe at the checkout line or having a cup of coffee with someone sharing the word. There's so much that we can impact our children for the cause of Jesus Christ. What does it look like for a mom for a grandmom to have a sincere, genuine faith that makes an impact on those that are watching? What might it look like? I would say it would be a mom, if I may say a grandmom, who spends time every day in the Word of God in prayer. As they get into the Word, as they have that prayer time with God, and they're intimately connecting with Him and applying the Word of God to their life. It's not just reading, but it's a daily application that's evident by the way that they live. Secondly, it would be a mom that would be on mission for God. Jesus was on a continual mission of must, and they also will be on a continual mission of must. There'll be a woman that's sincere, striving to be a blessing not only to their family, but to those outside of their family. There'll be a mom, a grandmom, that will honor a husband and make a home a refuge, as tough as it is out there, a place of refuge and sweetness abides within the walls of the home. It will be a mom that will be anxious to teach her children or grandchildren about salvation, praying continually that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior at an early age and showing the everyday relevance of the Word of God into their lives. And finally, it will be a mom that will teach that following the will of God and loving God with all of your heart is far better than, and not that any of these things are wrong per se, but it's far better than playing sports, far better than playing video games, watching TV, far better than your daughter or son getting a boyfriend or a girlfriend, far better than getting a great career that we can make a lot of money. They will be number one concern, teach them to love God with all of their heart, mind, and soul, and serve him faithfully. This can all happen if we have a sincere, genuine faith. That sincere, genuine faith will then make an impact in the lives of other people. They say that man is mighty, he governs land and sea. He wields a mighty scepter on lower powers than he. But mightier power and stronger, man from his throne has hurled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Many of us are familiar with David Livingston. David Livingston was a great missionary explorer in the 1850s, 60s, 70s that went into Africa. And God used him to open up the continent of Africa to Christianity. That man traveled tens of thousands of miles all over, the, all over Africa, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what led him there? Yeah, I know God did. But what human individual did God use for him to go to Africa? One day he heard... 
Robert Moffat, who was a missionary that was returned from his adventures in Africa. He was preaching in a church, and Robert Moffat made the statement, I have seen in the evening sun, as I looked inland, the smoke of a thousand villages where the gospel of Christ has never been heard. Livingston just chomped on those words and he was captivated by the thought that in Africa that you could look in and see the smoke of thousands and thousands and that's just the beginning that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And that is what God used to drive David Livingston not to go to China when it was closed but instead to go to Africa. But I asked the question, what was it that took Robert Moffat to Africa? What caused him to be one that was willing to go to leave England and travel to a far continent that he'd never been to the continent of Africa. I want to read what he wrote in his own words regarding a conversation that he and his mom had on one of their last times that they met that he wrote in his own hand. When we came within sight of the spot where we were to part, perhaps never again to meet in this world, she said, Now my Robert, let us stand here for a few minutes, for I wish to ask one favor of you before we part. And I know you will not refuse to do what your mother asked. What is it, mother? I inquired. Do promise me first that you will do what I am now going to ask, and I shall tell you. No, mother, I cannot tell you um, what you wish. I cannot do that. Oh, Robert, you can think for a moment that I shall ask you, my son, to do anything that is not right. Do not I love you? Yes, mother, I know you do, but I do not like to make a promise which I may not be able to fulfill. I kept my eyes fixed on the ground. I was silent, trying to resist the rising emotion. She sighed deeply. I lifted my eyes and I saw the big tears rolling down the cheeks, which were wont to press mine. I was conquered, and as soon as I could recover speech, I said, Oh, mother, ask what you will, and I shall do it. I only ask you whether you read a chapter in the Bible every morning and another every evening. I interrupt by saying, Mother, you know I read my Bible. I know you do, but you do not read it regularly or as a duty. You owe to God its author. And she added, Now I shall return home with a happy heart inasmuch as you have promised to read the Scriptures daily. O Robert, my son, read much in the New Testament, read much in the Gospels, the blessed Gospels, then you cannot well go astray. If you pray, the Lord himself will teach you. I parted from my beloved mother now long gone to that mansion above, which she had loved to speak. I went on my way and ere long found myself among strangers. My charge was an important one for a youth, and though possessing a muscular frame and a mind full of energy, it required all to keep pace with the duty which devolved upon me. I lived at a considerable distance from what we call the means of grace, and the Sabbaths were not always at my command. I met with none who appeared to to make religion their chief concern. I mingle when opportunities offered with the happy and godless in what are considered innocent amusements where I soon became a favorite. But I never forgot my promise to my mother. And it was the scriptures, the reading of the scriptures that eventually would drive Robert Moffat to Africa. One last, Susan Wesley, we've heard of her, was a busy mother By today's standards, she would be quite a marvel. She had 17 children. 
There wasn't anywhere to get away from the children, but she spent an hour every day in prayer. And she would sit down in a chair and throw the big apron over her head. And the children knew that they had to be as quiet as possible because mom was praying. She was in her prayer closet. Years later, some of her prayers finally coming true. Two of her sons, Charles and John, um, converted and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they became powerful preachers of the gospel. In fact, Charles Wesley, writing about 6,000 hymns, Jesu, Joy, Man's Desire, and Can It Be, just a couple of them. But these men became powerful preachers, and they were intimately involved in preaching the gospel over here in America and in England. In fact, they were part of the great awakening that God was doing a radical Um, transformation in the lives of thousands of people in the 13 colonies in the 1720s and 30s, along with George Whitfield. These men preached the gospel from South Carolina up to Massachusetts and saw great revivals at the hand of of, of God by preaching the word. Some historians have said of their preaching of the gospel in England that the great awakening that happened in America also impacted greatly England and it became called the Wesley Revival, that the bloody revolution that was happening in France didn't happen in England because the Word of God made such a great impact by the preaching of the Wesley boys that many were turning to Jesus Christ as their Savior. A mother's prayers. A mother's prayers that made a great impact. Truly the hand that rocks a cradle is the hand that rules the world. I encourage us as we depart with a closing video, worship song, Thank You, Jesus, that we would pursue a genuine faith, that we would cry out to God, God, I want to be sincere. I want to be real in my faith. I don't want to be consumed with temporal things. I don't want to be consumed with things that really don't matter. But God, help me to see that I need to have a sincere, genuine faith, and by your glory and by your grace that I can make a genuine impact on the lives of others for his glory. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we can have a faith that's genuine, authentic, real, and go out and make a difference for the glory of God. Happy Mother's Day. Spoil your moms today. Spoil your wives. Lord bless.